All right, it's, it's, it's certainly Father's Day where I, I say good morning and we still keep talking. So, I mean, it, it's just, like I said, my kids aren't here, but it, it certainly feels so. Thanks, Ed. Well, good morning and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship. Uh, thankful that everybody's here on this beautiful day and certainly happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the congregation. Uh, we were going to start, uh, if you have the bulletin in front of you, go to the back page. I'm just going to go over some of the announcements, opportunities, certainly items of importance. Uh, and then uh, from there, certainly we'll, we'll move into the call to worship and getting our hearts ready to praise and, and worship this wonderful Savior uh, who is our true good, good Father. So if you look at the fellowship activities, uh, first and foremost is men's small group. Um, hopefully the slides are going to get caught here. We're going to start with at least, I know the prayer meeting's behind me, but where I'm going to start is with the men's small group. Um, they are meeting, as it says there, on the second and fourth Saturdays. That would mean that there is a meeting this Saturday, June 26th, here downstairs at 7.30 to 9.30. I did talk with Ed Fleming. Uh, the plan is for that to continue through the summer. So men, if you do have the ability and the time, uh, this Saturday morning, please uh, come and be a part of that. It will be good for your soul. The next uh, announcements are for Vacation Bible School. Um, again, just the dates, right? August 9th through the 13th. Registration forms can be found online, but also downstairs. Uh, the other thing is just simply to uh, let you be aware of that we are going to start decorating. This church will start to look like, I think, a castle, and, and certainly... Uh, that's a neat thing, but please see Laura Perkins uh, with questions. And for all those that are working, um, obviously, right, the, the laws have changed. You're going to be working with young children. We do need to make sure that you have your clearances. So if you could provide those to Allison Schmucker, that'd be great. Uh, the next service opportunity is the Donegal Food Bank. As many people might know, uh, we serve with a consortium of other churches uh, here to, to serve the Kanoi, uh, Donegal, Mount Joy, Marietta uh, areas. Our next service opportunity is on August 25th from 1.30 to 3.30. If you'd like to volunteer and be a part of that, please see Gene Shawarin with questions. Items of importance, right? Uh, every Sunday morning here at the church, right downstairs at 9.15, we have prayer. Would again encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, another real quick thing is, is just as, as we all know, right, we have many new faces, certainly important that the directory uh, gets updated. So if you are not in it, please see Allison and we can get you uh, into that directory, which is certainly important. Another new thing to note is uh, that Community Bible Church, which would be the church right up over here off of... Um, 462, right? I think that's the road, or at least the, the, the highway right there. Um, they're offering an addiction recovery program called Regeneration, Recovery in Christ When Life is Broken. Um, I'm not sure if you are aware, we for many years had supported an AA meeting here, uh, but really thought that, that although there's many good things in that, certainly the, the Christ-less focus of it was something that bothered us. And so we have always been looking for alternatives uh, for those that are struggling, and certainly we feel very good, uh, thankful for, for Gene Schwarn and the work that he's done with the pastor that is running uh, things at Rege Regeneration. Um, and again, it's right there, it's a 12-step approach, but again, it's more focused on discipleship and what Christ can do. 
It is being held at Community Bible Church every Tuesday night from 7 to 9. Reason we're announcing it, right, as elders and certainly uh, in this period where Sam isn't here, we, we want to know and we certainly want to have this tool available for anybody uh, that is dealing uh, with this issue uh, in your family. And certainly we're really excited to be able to provide a gospel-focused ministry to deal uh, with this item. Other things that I want to note that aren't in the uh, bulletin. First and foremost, Faye let me know that next Sunday it's her birthday. She's not sure if her sons are going to have her out. So it is Faye's birthday next Sunday. So I just want to say happy birthday and want to encourage everybody to say happy birthday to Faye. So as we leave, please enjoy that. Um, yes, not, I'm not going to... So I'm being told that she's turning 90, but I know that she's really 45, and I've always been told, right, never ever share a woman's, you know, age, but we just want to say happy birthday to Faye. All right, next thing that I want to do is just announce to, I think hopefully everybody saw, and this is, this is quite serious, um, an email that went out uh, from Wendy uh, McMillan this week. It was really well done. Wendy, so appreciate your, your ability and use of words, but really this is what happened. Uh, last Sunday, there were two children outside. Somebody had parked and kind of approached them. Luckily, somebody in our congregation was outside to kind of quell what could have potentially been something very serious. Um, so, you know, we just need to know a couple things, right? Appropriate authorities, really appreciate those that have reached out. We've had some good uh, discussions with the local police. Um, you know, we're we're blessed here, right? We love the fact that we can do fellowship and certainly want our children to feel safe and to know that this is a place where they're loved and cared for. But I think we also just simply have to recognize, right, that we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world and that we do need to keep an eye on our little ones. So, um, you know, again, throughout the, the course of this summer, um, what is nice because of the one class being off in the summer months, there should be room downstairs for the children to play. Uh, after service, but inside the building, which we think is certainly uh, the best place for them. But secondarily, parents, and I think everybody, um, we just need to keep an eye on, right? And, and I think we kind of know who this body is, but when we do see something, you know, we do need to care for these little ones. I, I think I, I appreciate Wendy's point. Better to be a little bit nosy and have somebody kind of tell us than to, to have something tragic happen. So we're just announcing that to the extent that you see anything, see behaviors or see other vehicles that are acting in a suspicious manner, we want to know and we certainly want to then coordinate with the local police uh, on that. So um, that is, again, uh, just where we're at and certainly um, thankful that nothing happened last Sunday. The other thing that I just simply want to, again, encourage everybody to be thinking about before we get into the call to worship is uh, the Wicker family, right? As, as I shared last week, they are on a six-week kind of sabbatical. Um, if I think if I remember Sam's itinerary, this means right now he's traveling from somewhere in Tennessee uh, down to Florida with his family with a very large uh, camper on the back. Uh, we had a good joke about the fact that he should never and stay in his lane in terms of being a trucker. Um, I think he's very humbled by that, but we certainly want to pray for his safety uh, as they make the trek from Tennessee down to Florida this week. Um, and within that, you know, again, just simply want to let everybody in the congregation know, if you have issues, please be in touch with Dave, myself, Mike Rohr. Um, Allison is back from um, a, a very good trip out to Wyoming, and then I think at the beach as well. So 
certainly we want to make sure that all the needs are met during this time where we can really bless Sam and allow him uh, to be away. So with all that being shared, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at Psalm 103 this morning for our call to worship. And it's verses 1 through 5. Right, and as the worship team comes together, right, these are just five really, really simple verses that helps us to praise and understand, right, who our God is as our Savior, as our Creator. As I share it, look at the mercy and the steadfast love that's there, right? We all know we are sinners, and certainly I know for some of us, right, we have fathers um, who were great examples in Christ, but some of us, I, I know just because of sin, right, we had fathers that did not. Uh, but remember, you do have a good and perfect father who loved you so much that he sent his son. So let us praise and worship and prepare our hearts for the Lord. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Good morning, church. Let's worship him together. Joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with Join 
Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few.
Okay, before we pray together as a church family, a couple uh, updates for you guys to be aware of. Um, you guys got the email out about continuing to pray for Lonel Schwarren's aunt, Judy. Um, continue to pray for her situation. There's a lot of dynamics going on there, so we'll do that this morning, Lonel, together. But thanks for the update, and um, we'll continue to pray for that. Um, secondly is Sue Nisley. Talked with Sue this morning, and uh, her dad is now home from the hospital, but they still have not figured out where the internal bleeding is coming from yet. So that is still a concern and request that they would be able to locate exactly what is going on. And so, um, so be mindful to pray for, for Sue's dad and, and the family this week and uh, for wisdom and clarity and also too for his spiritual health as well, for conversations and openness for his, um, his heart to be open to the truth of so the gospel. So we'll pray for that together as a church family. Then two other things um, is Ruth. Uh, Ruth just uh, asked for some uh, request for some personal struggles she's going through right now. So just be mindful and faithful to pray for Encourage Ruth in that way by prayer, um, just what she's going through right now. So um, so thank you, Ruth, for sharing that. And then lastly, we continue to pray for Joel Martin, just his dental work this, this week and the next. Um, he has a couple different appointments coming up. So we all know what it's like to have a hurting tooth, and Joel has a hurting mouth. So they're all coming out. So we can imagine what that is. So Okay, that's a lot. So we'll pray for Joel this week and just for that and that it goes well. And so there's a couple things that we want to join together this morning as a congregation, just pray for those things. So let's pray together and turn to God this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts and, and worshipful hearts this morning as we gather um, as a body of believers here to praise your holy name and to recognize that uh, this is the one true God that we come this morning to worship and to um, praise and to glorify your name. Um, we are so grateful um, to come to you this morning knowing that it is provided by the work of what your son has done through the cross and through the resurrection, through the grave, Father, that we can come to you as sons and daughters of the living God and talk with you and seek your wisdom and guidance and to commune with you, Father. What a joy it is to know that this is the creator and the sustainer of this whole universe. Um, there is nothing outside of your bounds. There's nothing that we can't come to you as a church or individually and talk to you about. Uh, you know all and you are all, Father. And so we recognize who we are talking to and we behold your name this morning as we come together as a church family. Father, one thing that we need to be mindful of is that uh, we know that um, throughout the days on this earth, Father, our hearts are prone to wander from you. Um, even on our best days, um, where we feel like we have been in your word and 
uh, applying your principles, Father. Um, sin and temptation is creaching, creaching, crouching at our door, Father. And so I pray that um, we would be mindful to recognize when we do fall short and, and given a temptation to sin, Father, in many different ways, and that uh, we would be faithful to repent of those sins and ask for your forgiveness, and you are faithful to forgive, Father. And so um, as we go forth even today and the rest of this week, as we uh, find ourselves giving in to the, the, the lies of, of Satan and just the tempting thoughts and the actions, Father, that we do, that we'd be quick uh, to repent, that we wouldn't just brush it off and just think, well, time will, will heal this, Father, or time will make me feel better, but we need to be mindful um, what your son has um, taught us about in praying and asking forgiveness, Father. And so, um, so we, could, we come this morning, this morning as a church family and just want to take um, that time to, to search our hearts and say that we are sorry and ask forgiveness for those things we've done today, whether it's through our words or our actions, um, whatever it might be, um, we ask forgiveness for those things, Father. And so we look to um, uh, the joy that we have in growing in our holiness, and when we do fall short, um, you are there to guide and direct us and to heal us, Father. And so uh, it's with that kind of heart that we come to before you this morning, and, and just a humble heart this morning as we pray together as a church family. Um, thank you that um, we have such a uh, heavenly Father that, uh, that we know, if, as we've been part of this church for long enough, we've heard the gospel proclaimed many, many times, but um, it is foundation of our faith, and it is, this is what we cling to as we just sung uh, a few minutes ago, as we cling to Christ. And so we're thankful for the work of the gospel, for the free gift of salvation, for uh, the, the, the hope that we have, it's found in Christ alone. And so, Father, uh, there's many a things that, that we can draw thankfulness from just focusing on the gospel alone. Um, remind us when we are tempted to uh, complain or to um, just be fearful about what our lives are on, that remember that uh, to be thankful um, for what you have done and for what you have in, in store for us, Father, as we submit to your authority and as we live under Christ, Father. And so what a glorious day it is to proclaim these truths and to live out these truths amongst one another in the local church. And so we can be a testimony to the rest of the world uh, who needs this true hope, who needs this only hope that uh, in this world that is such um, in chaos sometimes, and there's life situations that come up, we know that we can cling to you uh, because of the work of the gospel and what you have done, Father. So we are grateful for that this morning. Father, we also want to be faithful in joining together and praying for one another, praying for um, things that are going on in our congregation um, currently, Father. And we think of, of Linnell Schwarren's aunt, who has been battling cancer uh, for a, a good bit of time now. So, Father, we ask that you just um, would be relieve her for some of the pain, give her comfort from some of the physical pain that she's experiencing right now. We ask that, and we know that you can... Uh, do these good things, and you can heal her of these infirmities, Father, if it's your will. We don't know what the plan is um, for her life right now, Father, but we ask that you would just comfort her while she's going through this. Um, pray that you would bring um, good care to her um, through those who are providing the care for her. I pray that there be uh, put in their hearts to really care well for Judy and just uh, the family as they seek uh, different options and as they walk through this journey of, of of unknowns somewhat. 
We pray for unity in the family, too, as, as many opinions uh, with family members and just things that, um, that are need to be decisions, that there be unity and support and love um, towards Judy and her husband. And so, Father, comfort them, I pray. Um, it is not an easy time of life right now uh, for them. Um, but we pray that you would, by your spirit, comfort them wholeheartedly, Father, and that you would just provide others in their path, including Linnell and Tim and the rest of the family, just to encourage them and to support them. And so we pray for um, just clarity in the coming weeks and months, Lord, as they kind of deal with this situation and know how to turn uh, and what to do, Father, in these trying times. Uh, we think of Sue Nisley's dad and just uh, his physical health as well. Um, Thank you that he has been released from the hospital, but Father, you know his body. You know exactly what's going on. We pray for wisdom, uh, for understanding through some tests that are being done now to know where this bleeding might be coming from. We pray for patience for Sue and, and for her dad as they wait to hear these results. Um, Father, more importantly, we do pray for his spiritual health. Um, sometimes it feels very helpless with family members that, uh, that, that we know aren't believers, that there's nothing that we can do to force them to trust in you or even to have conversations. But so we pray you do a work in his heart that softens it to spiritual conversations, whether it's through Sue or other family members or through um, other sources, Father. I pray that you would have, that you would create those conversations and those opportunities for him to hear the true gospel and soften his heart to repent and to turn from his ways, Father. And so we ask for that this morning. Um, it's our desire to bring salvation, to, have, to see salvation be brought to him. And so, um, so, Father, we do as a congregation want to support Sue and Rick and the family in this way, knowing that um, we're not certain of his physical life or what it looks like in the coming weeks and months, Father. So, so we ask for that this morning. We think of our sister Ruth, who is going through some trying times now, Father. Um, there again, uh, I'm just so encouraged by Ruth's steadfastness in you and trusting in you that we've seen over the last number of months and years, Father. And so continue again to provide that sustaining comfort uh, that she needs over the next couple of days and weeks, Father. Uh, help her cling to the cross and to your word. Uh, use each one of us to encourage her, to um, uphold her during this time uh, through prayer and through words and through notes, whatever it might be, Father. Um, we desire to support her in this way, so we just ask that you continue to bring a comfort and support and the growth that she needs as she trusts in you more and more every day. And Father, we think of Joel, too, and just all the, all the mouth and dental work that's ahead of him, and um, uh, just pray that that does go smoothly. Pray that um, having um, the number amount of teeth being pulled is, is a trying time, and so I pray that uh, you would comfort him as well in his physical pain that uh, you would help him get through this. And, and there again, continue to help Joel rely on you through this time of physical need. Uh, I pray you would strengthen him spiritually through this and that uh, even find opportunities to testify to the goodness of the gospel, how Joel is pretty vocal with that with his, his providers. I pray that you provide opportunities for him to do that with the dentist and those who are caring for him. We just appreciate Joel's heart and just how he loves you and he trusts in you. So continue to grow him in this area in this, this time of physical need, Father. But we pray for comfort for him and his teeth would uh, get back to where they should be in the coming weeks and months, Father. And Father, last week we think of, of fathers on this Father's Day and, and for each one of us, as we think of fathers, um, it brings up many emotions and many thoughts. Uh, like Tim had mentioned in the announcements, Father, that 
Um, some of us had great godly fathers to look up to, who modeled uh, Christ, who modeled biblical principles. Some of us have not. Some of us have not had fathers who believe, or some of us have not even had fathers. And so, and so Heavenly Father, no matter where we're at today, um, we pray that you would help our attitudes towards our fathers if they have uh, uh, not treated us well. Um, we pray for the salvation of all the connections that this congregation has with fathers. We pray for their salvation, that uh, if those of, uh, any of those who do not know the true saving knowledge of the gospel, that you would bring it to their lives, um, whether they're fathers here or fathers that we have in our lives that do not know you, we ask you to do that this morning. We're thankful for the fathers that have modeled you. I pray that men would model these things to other men that maybe have not fathers in their lives. Pray you provide those people in all of our lives, in all the fathers' lives, to, to be that model father. And so we ask you would do that. Um, there again, um, we cling to you, even in this, this day that's joyful for some, and some of us have lost fathers over the last number of months and years, Father, that will be um, sorrowful. And so you are in the midst of all these things. You are at work in all these things, and that's the hope we cling to. Um, so, Father, help us to trust in you and help us to grow our faith, no matter where we're at with our father or what we're at as being a father, um, that you will continue to do that work in our lives and uh, that we can glorify you through what this um, institution of fatherhood is like, Father. And so we are grateful um, for this time. We pray for uh, Brother Gene as he brings God's word to us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word that he would proclaim it boldly, that our hearts and minds would be open to what we need to learn and how we need to apply it, keep our minds from wandering, keep us attentive. And so we pray that fruitfulness is born through the preaching of your word. And so we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
I want to share in my wishes to all the fathers here for a happy and a joyous day. One of the uh, truly great American-born 20th century theologians, in my mind, again, my estimation, was Dr. R.C. Sproul. I don't know if some of you know that name or recognize it, but let me give you a short bio on R.C. He was born in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, in an area called Pleasant Hills. It's about 15 miles from downtown Center City in 1939. He spent more than 50 years in Christian ministry. He was a prolific author, speaker, teacher, had a very successful radio show over the years that some of you may have listened to. It was called Renewing Your Mind. And in 1971, he started Ligonier Ministries. 1971 in a small town out there in the foothills of the Appalachian by the name of Stallstown. And for those that want a better picture, if you're on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, there's a resort called Seven Springs. It's in that general area, and it's about maybe 50, 60 miles, you know, east of Pittsburgh. Well, R.C., he loved Pittsburgh. He was a fan. He really could get in your face because he loved Pittsburgh so much. He loved the Steelers. He loved to wave that terrible towel. He was so proud of Pittsburgh. It was the greatest place in the world as far as he was concerned. He used to say, you could take the man out of Pittsburgh, but you can never take the Pittsburgh out of the man. And he was the type of person that could just walk into a diner and start a conversation with anybody. He was very approachable. He even liked to find cigar and occasionally a good bit of whiskey. He was, hate to say it because today you can't say it that often, he was sort of a man's man, very approachable. He had a great sense of humor. They once asked him near the end of his life, R.C., what would you like to have scribed or put on your tombstone? He thought about it, and he said, put, I told you I was sick. Yeah, I told you I was sick. He was a man that told the truth, but a great, great theologian. Theologically, he was from that classic reform tradition. Luther, Tyndale, Zigwell, Calvin believed firmly, firmly in the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, that he believed that God was a divine sovereign. He said, if God isn't sovereign, then God isn't God. And he drummed into everybody that he could you know, come in contact. God is holy, and we are not. So often we want to think and elevate ourselves. God is not like us. God is God. God's holy, and we're not. So here comes this great American theologian coming to the end of his life. Everyone around him knows he's dying. He knows he's dying. 
what would be the text he would choose to be the last public sermon that he would give? Here's a great theologian. Your last statement to the world. What would you choose as the text? Now, let me ask some of those people that like Bible trivia. Anybody have any idea how many verses are in the Bible? Now, somebody might say, depends upon what Bible you use. Okay, granted. But generally, there happens to be 31,173 verses in the Bible. 31,173. Which verses is he going to choose? There's so many to choose. What's more important than the other? And as part of the historical record, R.C. will preach this last, this last public sermon the day after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving, November 26, 2017. You see, he's not even been dead four years. But he's going to give this sermon the day after Thanksgiving, and he'll be dead in two weeks after he gives this sermon. But the text that he chooses is what we're going to look at and study today. And hopefully as we study it, we might stumble upon some truths to think about. Out of all these verses, these are the ones that he chose to be part that we hear. So if you can, turn to your Bibles to second chapter of Hebrews, and we'll look at just four verses, the first four verses. And for those that have a Bible there in the pews, it's page 1001. Now, I don't know if you can see what the screen behind me. It's probably an eye test. But if not, you know, look at your own Bible. Second chapter of Hebrews, verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Let us pray. Let's pause and ask God to quiet our minds and our hearts. Lord, we just sang the word, speak, O Lord, and we do come. We do come to receive that food, the truth of your holy word. Lord, take that truth and plant it as we sang. Plant it deep inside each member and each person that's here this morning in this church so that it may shape and fashion us in your likeness that these verses that we study today in Hebrews might search us and have us renew our commitment and how we seek to live godly lives. 
Yes, speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Help us, first of all, believe that these truths are unchanged from the dawn of time. And give us the grace, as we sang, that we can stand firmly on these promises. Strengthen our faith and give us assurances. As we walk, you'll walk alongside us. Yes, O Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Amen. In the last years of R.C. Sproul's life, many people came to him and asked him to reflect on his ministry. And it was a great ministry that he had. Ligonier Ministries, very successful, still is. It's now in Florida. And they asked him to reflect upon that as well as his personal life. And they would ask him, R.C., what would you consider the most significant challenge that you have faced over your lifetime? R.C. said, yes, it's true. The challenges have been great. But he said, here's the fact. Those challenges are no different than what every Christian faces. It doesn't matter if you're a great theologian, you stand in a pulpit, or you sit in a pew. The challenges are the same for all of us. He says, what are those challenges? Those challenges are the world, the flesh, and the devil. See, R.C. realized that we are all human beings. There's not one that's more elevated than the other. He said, the world does everything it can to mold us, to shape us, to bend into the conformity of its patterns. In the world, he says, we're easy targets because you know what? We want to get along. We don't want to stand out. We want to fit in. And the world uses that against us. So he says, we're always going to have this ongoing natural battle with the world. He said the flesh, true, he goes, we have this fallen nature. And even though we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes, this old man, this sin nature has not been annihilated. Too many people become Christians and they think, oh, I'm not going to have any problems. I'm not going to have any temptations. No, you are still. That's not going to happen until you get, according to scriptures, your glorified bodies. So you need to continue to fight against our fallenness. And that fallenness would do everything to destroy us. And finally, he said, there's the devil, the Satan, and the demonic hope that are doing everything to thwart and to frustrate you, to accuse you at every point that you are a sinner, that you're unloved, you're not worthy, no one cares, there's no God that can help you. Lies, lies, lies. He says it's a battle that can really make you sweat to tremble and to fear. But he said at the same time, there's glorious words because we know that we're being equipped with the whole armor of God. But he said, unfortunately, some of us, maybe too many of us, refuse to put on that armor of God. Not only do you refuse, some of you may even say, yeah, I'll put it on. But you grow tired. You grow weary. And you take it off. Let me give you a personal experience. Some of you may know that I did fight in Vietnam. I was a soldier. 
I was assigned to a Korean special unit. I had a radio on my back. <clears throat> they gave me pieces of armor to protect myself. They gave me a helmet, weighed about three and a half pounds. They gave me a flight vest, weighed about seven and a half, seven and a half pounds before it got soaked. And that thing, once it got soaked, it probably weighed 10. I had a radio on my back. <clears throat> that thing weighed about 25 pounds. My pack with extra ammunition and food and other stuff was probably about another 40 pounds. I had a good, pretty close to 60 to 70 pounds. And every day it was out there, it was probably about 90 degrees. And you would just sweat. You know what would happen? Let me tell you what I did. And a lot of people like me. We exchanged the helmet for a piece of cloth called a boonie hat. The flight vest, never really believed it was going to stop a bullet, threw it away. Was soaked. Got tired. Got callous. Didn't care. RC said, we have to put that armor on, and we need to keep it on. The story goes on of RC's life, and he said, or they asked him, what's the single most important thing that people outside the church need to know? He said they need to know who God is. He said people outside the church, he goes, they know that God is. Because he's revealed himself through creation. They see that. And also in our consciousness. It was interesting, uh, I guess last month, Wendy sent a note out in a Christian blog on the, su on the subject of secular literature last month, and I don't know if any has had a chance to read that. But it was interesting because contained in that blog that she sent out, she, that blog talked about great secular literature, the Iliad, the Odyssey, that was written at the time by Homer. And if you remember the Greeks, they sought after knowledge, wisdom, truth. He wrote that back in the ninth century. The Greek culture was not the chosen culture that God selected. He chose the Jews. They were given the commandments. They were given sort of the keys to the kingdom. They understood what God wanted in the Ten Commandments and the laws. The Greeks didn't. They were, depending upon how you wanted to measure, probably 2,000 miles, two different cultures that evolved. But even in the ninth century, Homer, if you read, the Greeks recognized and saw. They knew what was morally right and what was morally wrong. Their consciousness, they knew. And even when Paul eventually came, remember how they said, oh, you must be that temple that we have for the unknown God. R.C.'s point was that you might try to run away and say, God doesn't exist, but you know that there is a God. The problem is we don't know who he is. The writers would ask R.C., well, what's the greatest challenge that people inside the church have? What do they need to know? He says, it's simple. He says, it's the same thing. 
Because people inside the church, they don't know who God is. You really don't, he says. You, we don't understand his character, his unconditional love. Because if we really did understand that, we would understand that he is God. He is the creator. He needs to be revered, not just because of what he's done for us. And that's so much we say, oh, I got to worship God because he died on the cross for me. That's true. But can you get your arms around? He is God. Here's another interesting point, Bible trivia. Anybody have any idea, can you even get close, how many words are in the Bible? I know, it depends upon your text, but you know how many words are in the Bible? The experts tell me, because I didn't count them all, there happens to be 774,746 words. Do you have any idea what verse is or word is right in the middle, right in the middle of the Bible? It is Psalm 81.10. That's a good trivia question. You ought to mark that in your Bible. The center of your Bible says this, I am the Lord, your God. Can't make it up. Right in the middle. Wow. R.C.'s whole point was, once you can understand who God is, it can change everything. And I think that's why he chose these four verses to be the foundation of his last public sermon. Now, for a little bit better context as we get into it, since we haven't started looking at the text yet, for a little background, chapter 1. Let's review Cliff Notes, chapter 1. What's chapter 1 say? Because it's important. Chapter 1 tells us, if you just look at your Bible real quick, it really tells us the final word of God's supremacy of who God's Son is to the world. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what it says. Chapter begins, it says, uh, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions and many ways in those last days, has spoken to us. Verse 2, his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Verse 3, he made the world as a radiance of God's glory and exact representation of God's nature, upholds all things by the word of his power, made purification for sin, sat down with the right hand of God's majesty. Verse, verse 4, he's greater the, than the angels. Verse 6, it says the, because the angels worship him. And he ends up, verse 8, he is the mighty God. The message or context summary would be this, God's spoken. He's spoken, folks. Everything in creation, everything in redemptive history, all the words point ahead to the Messiah, and the Messiah has now come in the person of Jesus Christ. All the declarations, everything, declares the greatness of Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's the final word from God. And I think that's important for us to remember as we now start looking at chapter 2. And there's two important words that I'm going to focus in in these four verses. And the first word is drift, and the second one is escape. So we enter chapter 2, verse 1, and you see right away a command. He gives us a command, and it's really a duty to listen. Listen up, he says. He says, for this reason, 
Now, some of your versions of your Bible might say, therefore, you choose the word, listen, for this reason, therefore, something of importance is coming. And what are those words? Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. What are we drifting away from? We're drifting away from the declarations that were made in chapter 1. The point is, we've got to pay attention. We must listen. We must listen especially to the God who speaks. And how foolish it is for us to ignore the God who speaks. R.C. understood this as being the utmost seriousness. And that's why he says we have to know who this God is. So we don't drift away. You know, the language of drifting away, especially now with the summer months, you know, most of us go to the oceans. And we see the waves come in. And we know that, you know, if we just go out and we don't row with a deliberate path in a certain direction, we may never get to where we want. Or if we just go out and float, we know the currents will take us. Or if you go to your local stream and you get a piece of bark or a leaf, you know that leaf in the stream will just drift away because it puts no energy in it. It just goes. You do nothing. And the application here, what the writer of Hebrews was telling us, if we're not vigilantly paying close attention to the word of God, we'll float by. We'll drift away from God's word. And you know what? Spiritual drift is imperceptible when it first starts. It's just like pieces of bark. It can veer off course so quickly. And the same thing with our Christian life. We either pay close attention and work at it, or we drift back into levels of unfaithfulness. There's no such thing as standing still when you look at that Bible, and especially from R.C. Sproul. And that's what he was warning us to try to get our attention. C.S. Lewis, I don't know if that name rings any bells, but C.S. Lewis, without a doubt, again, in my estimation, was one of the great 20th century English writers and an intellectual giant. Some of you probably have read some of his works. Some have actually turned into movies. The, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. He also wrote a series of short stories. One of them was called The Screw Tape Letters. I don't know if anybody read The Screw Tape Letters. Really interesting. The plot is a story about a senior master demon. His name is Screwtape. And he's helping an advocate or apprentice devil who happens to be his nephew. And his name is Wormwood. And the whole series of 31 letters is how to be a more effective devil in winning souls to their side and to their champion, Satan. And that the people would then have a life of eternal damnation. And he, you know, writes in these 31 letters strategy on how you can win souls to the kingdom of Satan. 31 letters, interesting read. And they discussed the strategy on temptation. And they said, 
you know, having good arguments on the existence of God has its place, but that's not going to win it because people just open their eyes and they see creation. So that may catch some, but that's not so good. And in another letter, they said, well, we can use science, evolution. That's really to us. You know, these people, and he went, yeah, that'll probably work. But even there, we have holes in our theory of evolution. And he said, you know, what's the most effective tactic? The most effective tactic? Just don't get humans to think about what comes next. Don't have them get serious on the really important thing. And that is what comes next. As I told you, one of the key words today was the word drift. And let me insert now a more popular phrase that some of you might relate to, and that is slip sliding away. Do you remember this phrase? The chorus by Paul Simon of Simon and Garfinger. I bet you you probably heard it thousands of times. I bet you some of you even sang it many, many times. Here's the chorus. Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. The near, you know the nearer your destination, the more you're slip sliding away. During an interview with one of those song magazines, don't know which one, they asked Paul Simon in an interview, Paul, what were you trying to get across in that song? He goes, look, this is what happens when you don't live deliberately. He goes, too many people just coast along without purpose. They don't have any real desire dream. They have dreams and desires, but you know what? They're not going to work at it. No one spends time really working at it. And look at the words of his last stanza. This one really convicted me. You sang it, you heard it so many times. Listen to the lie in this. God only knows. I can't sing like Paul Dunn. God only knows. God makes his plan. The information is unavailable to the mortal man. We work our jobs. We collect our pay. Believe we're gliding down the highway when in fact we're slip sliding away. Remember what R.C. Sproul said? People outside the church, they know who God is. He's revealed himself in the consciousness. Even Paul Simon wrote that. But what did he do? He acknowledged the lie of Satan when he said, the information is unavailable. No, it's available. And how many times have we heard those words and it never dawned on us? See, even for us believers, and that's who he's talking to, us believers, we've got to be on guard because we can rationalize and we can get carried away by the cultural, say, confusions or the cultural drift because we're so busy with our life. Paul Simon's right. We have jobs. we got to get paid. we got to take care of our families. But we're not really focusing on the most important thing. Even C.S. Lewis tells us that. <clears throat> Harry Blameyers, author of The Christian Mind, says this, which I think is a 
heck of an indictment. He says, today Christians may worship and pray as Christians, but we don't think as Christians. Today he said that the average American spends more than 10 and a half hours on media consumption. I'd ask you, do you think you spend more than 10 and a half hours on media consumption every day? Media consumption consists of watching television, listening to the radio, being on the internet, playing video games. Average person today checks their email once every five minutes. The Christian mind has succumbed to this secular drift of the world. He said, us Christians, we suffer from a religious anorexia. Religious anorexia. A true loss of appetite for spending any time in the Word of God. Religious anorexia. A loss of appetite to spend any time in the Word of God. Our minds are unguarded, our minds are undisciplined, our minds are focused on the wrong things as we drift, slip sliding away. Well, what does this slip sliding away really look like? Yeah, you can talk about pieces of bark and leaves, but what does it look like with human beings? It's interesting, and it all starts with well-meaning intentions. Well-meaning intentions. It's interesting when Jesus was walking and talking to disciples and people, you can look at Luke, Luke chapter 9, Matthew chapter 8. He asked people, come join, follow me. And what were their answers? Because they really wanted to, but they said, hey, I, I, I can't, I got to go bury my dead. Or, or wait a minute, I got to go talk to my, my family and say goodbye to them. So what happened? They didn't do anything. They had well-meaning intentions, but they didn't follow him. Today, what's it look like? Well, let me give you some examples. It all starts with well-meaning intentions. Christians are great for well-meaning intentions. Look at every January 1st, we make what? New Year's resolutions. And I would think some people, actually, Christians, would say, I'm going to do a Christian thing. Now, I know that's not you, but, but it starts with well-meaning intentions, like, well, you know what? I want to learn and read more about God. But when invitations come up to join a Bible study or to get involved, you look at your calendar and you say, oh, I can't do it on Tuesdays. Tuesdays I have reserved for this. Look, I'm retired. My calendar, believe it or not, is still pretty full. If I want to do anything, you know what I have to do? I have to consciously, intentionally say no to something and not do it. And I have to make a conscious, purposeful decision to do something. And if any of you are ever going to wait until there's nothing on my calendar today, 
I think you'll still be waiting till the rapture. That's a personal opinion. But it starts with well-meaning intentions. You know what? I'm going to start getting up 15 minutes or 30 minutes early every morning to read a chapter of the Bible. But when that alarm goes off, I hit the snooze button. Or you stayed up late because you really had to get something done. It was really important. But you got a really long day. It's going to be a hard day. And you need that extra 15 minutes. So not today. Or you know that there's something going on in the church, a major activity that's going to start at 7.30 in the morning, but you just had a long week. You maybe even put in some overtime. You really want to be there, but there'll be others. They won't miss me, so you don't go. Or you just finished serving in some capacity in the church, and you really feel, you know what, I need a break. How long a break it's okay to ignore helping others or supporting church ministries. What's it say? Is there a, a verse in the Bible that says I'm allowed to feel bad and I'm allowed to stop supporting God and his ministries? But, uh, but I, know, I know you met well. I know. But when op opportunities come to help serve others, you can quickly come up with, well, I don't know them. You know, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't have much to offer. You know, I'm like me. I'm too old. <laughs> There's others. Let them sort of do it. Is that what slip sliding away looks like for us Christians? Do we really want to know who God is? Or do we just want a little, you know, the old Brill Cream commercial, little dad will do us. Sunday morning. But really to get to know who God is? I don't know. It's interesting, too often, we think that hearing comes, you know, by, you know, faith comes by hearing. It does, and we think that's enough. But it's also interesting when you look at that. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said to the people, they asked him, they said, Jesus, you know, what's happening here? And he quickly said, you know, look, they do not see, and hearing, they do not listen or understand. Spiritual hearing means believing, obeying, and submitting to what is heard. Right hearing is more a function of the heart and mind than the ear. We must work hard, work hard at disciplining our minds to read, to meditate. And to do. We just sang the song, Christ, the sure and steady anchor. Remember the words? When the waves of doubt, through the floods of unbelief, in the suffering and the sorrow, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be moved. Question is, where's your anchor? A theologian once said, you avoid drift by dropping the anchor of your soul's deep in the Word of God. If your anchor is deep in the Word of God, then I'm sure your anchor will not be moved. Now back to our scripture. The second word that I was going to focus on is the word escape. And when I think of escape, I think of some great movies 
from inescapable prisons. Any great movies where people escape from prisons come to mind? Let me throw out one or two. Remember the movie Papillon? Anybody can relate to that? Most of these are too young. Only the old guys know who Papillon is. <laughs> well, with Steve McQueen and uh, Dustin Hoffman, and it was a true story, believe it or not, of their escape from Devil's Island, which was a penal colony in the Atlantic Ocean. And they had to jump off these huge cliffs in order to escape. It was a true story, believe it or not. And there's also the classic that was written in 1844 that later became a movie by Alexander Dumas. And that movie and that story was The Count of Monte Cristo. Anybody remember that one? I got a couple more nods here. I remember. Okay, here is another true story. Edmund Dantes. He's framed. He spends 10 years in this inescapable, most dreaded prison called Prison Chateau Dieff. It's located on a small limestone rock island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Eventually, he escapes. You know, they spent four years digging in the walls of the limestone rock with spoons in order to escape. Interesting story. But that's Hollywood. Those, those are movies. People escape. Here in real life, our scripture tells us there will be no escape. If you don't know who God is, you cannot escape to neglect such a great salvation by being preoccupied or to come up with some excuse for not spending time to know who God is. There's no excuse here. This is, as far as R.C. is concerned, this is God's claxing call to the world to get our attention. And to neglect such a great salvation is to come into judgment. Our writer of Hebrews also, in verse 2, says that these words were spoken through the angels. And what was spoken was, at that time, legally binding and reliable. And to provide some context on that, the Jews provided special importance to the ministry of angels. The Bible provides us with nearly 50 different encounters with the ministry of angels. Those angels, what were they doing? Well, they were performing the will of God, delivering messages on his behalf. For instance, some examples. They ministered to Daniel in the lion's den, to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, to the women of the tomb, to the apostle, to Philip, to Cornelius, to John. They protected Lot from the Sodomites. They ministered to Jesus in the wilderness and the Garden of Gethsemane. They rolled away the tombstone. They announced his resurrection and they announced his second coming. And for some of you that I bet don't know this, there happened to be 10,000 of these holy ones on Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. You know, even I for years thought, gee, Moses went up there, it was just God and Moses. Deuteronomy 33, 2 tells us that there were 10,000 holy ones that were there also, angelic beings. And that's what this verse here is referring to. The summary point of the old covenant that would be delivered from the angels is this. 
the Ten Commandments, the laws. It said every sin deserves a punishment, a just punishment. That was the logic of the Torah. And remember when Moses was telling the people before we go into the Holy, Holy Land, the Promised Land, he said this to them in Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. The message of the Old Testament was true. You obey, you live. You disobey, you die. And every transgression of the law demanded a just penalty. That's what they were saying here. Now back to the text. Verse 3, it says, and to neglect such a great salvation, it's even more serious than the transgression of the law. Because the law was given by God through the angels to Moses and then to the people, but the gospel now has been given, spoken directly to us by who? By the Lord Jesus Christ, his own son. So this idea of spiritual drift is not that we might miss out on some type of spiritual flourishing life. The true danger, the true danger is that we could abandon the gospel. And some people would really question, you know, were you really saved in the first place and under the protection of God? You know, the good news of the gospel it really is good news, but it's only good for those who accept it in place, in place of the bad news. And the bad news is we're truly deserving of hell for all the transgressions of God's righteous requirements. And it's really bad news if we are even more accountable to God if we reject Christ. You know, the seriousness of the gospel can't be overstated. We try to water it down. People don't want to hear the truth. That's the truth. The gospel is great news for those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. It's terrible news for those who don't. And you could say, well, who says so? Do you just say so? No. Look at what Scripture says. Scriptures in verse 3 and 4 gives us four validation points. Four. What's it say in verses 3 and 4? The four are one. It was first spoken what? By the Lord. Second, it was confirmed, attested by those who heard him. Third, God himself bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. And finally, fourth, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What this tells me is that even today, tomorrow, the word of God is still being verified by the internal workings of the Holy Spirit on the hearts and minds of mankind. So continue to pray for the lost. Because the Holy Spirit, God can work that. How can anyone, the question that Hebrews wrote here is, how can anyone doubt something this great? The only answer I can give is, I guess they just don't think it's that great. It's no big deal. It's like what Paul Simon says. Yeah, you're just sort of in your jobs. Got to make my money. It's what C.S. Lewis said. You don't really want to think about what really is the most important thing. Or maybe you just want to be a skeptic. I can't give the answer to that. It doesn't say any of that in the text here. It just says what? This is what it says in the text. God has spoken this great news of salvation. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, is the one who God spoke through. 
and he adds his testimony. The apostles who were with Jesus in the flesh, they heard it. They added the testimony. They wrote it down, so we have it today. <clears throat> and God also added the witness of miracles, and today we have the gift of the Spirit. I guess the way I look at it, that, that this faith really comes through this whole cluster of testimonies and facts. And for some people, you just can't come up with enough facts because they choose not to address it. So I guess those who are still doubters, I guess my only, say, answer to that might be found in Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Those that are still not serious. In chapter 4 of Corinthians, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaimed is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ with ourselves as our servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in the hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think R.C. Sproul picked these four verses as his last sermon to remind us. These witnesses have done their part. The historical, the moral, the spiritual reality of God's great salvation, it's been on display. Any lack of conviction is not owing to them, but to us. We're the ones who need to change. Our minds are careless, they're defiled, they cling to false ideas, false desires, and at the bottom of the day, we're just too darn proud to receive the message that we need salvation. Earlier we sang the words, all my hope and peace, is that you cling to me. It's more than I can do to keep my hold on you. All the treasures of this world will never satisfy. You alone are endless joy, so I cling to Christ. Today's Father's Day, and fathers love to give good gifts and wise advice to their children. And so in keeping with that theme of giving good gifts, and I would say sound and truthful advice, my prayer is for us to get to know better who God is. That God would shine the light into our hearts so we can answer the question. And we can answer the question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say I am? And our answer would be, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let us pray. <clears throat> we thank you, Jesus, for you are for us the great escape. We are thankful that because of you and what you have done, that we have really nothing to fear from the wrath that is to come, and it will come. But we pray, O oh God, that you would feed our souls, cause us to hunger and thirst after you as the deer pants 
after the mountain stream. Ignite a flame in our hearts that calls us not to drift away and neglect to know you, but to pursue after you with everything we have. And we ask you to hold us fast, for we know you love us so. Even when our love is often cold and we go through life's fearful path. We ask your many blessings upon all here today. Keep Sam and Angela safe as they travel. And in these things we pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Our benediction is John, chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Go in peace. Happy Father's Day.